P. Smith catch and wreck. Like we always do about this time. Here we go. Yeah, Machiavelli. The Mob Deep. Yeah. Love this beat right here. Huh. Woo! Anyways, here we go. Catch your wreck. Staying consistent. Got a great show for you. I got none other than the USC veteran. King of the cage champion. Mr. Marvin Eastman. Yeah. A lot of you new cats don't remember that name, I'm sure. But the ones who don't know, right? I remember watching them back in the days, dishing out leg kicks to Quentin Jackson. Anyways, I got Mr. Marvin Eastman on the podcast today. You know the youth, we're gonna talk about we're talking about his Muay Thai experience, MMA back in the days, MMA today. You know, fighting, brawling, all that gangster stuff we do over here. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Uh. Well, well, one, well, um, the difference was, well, Master Chan, he understands fighting in general. He just, he just knows, he can look and see something. He can just break it down immediately. So even though we didn't have any cage experience, um, we, 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 we trained for anybody trying to take me down, just keep it standing up. And, and most of the fights, any fights that I ever had in the MMA, that I just utilized my Muay Thai 100% because people didn't really understand it. It was an easy fight. It's kind of when I started training with a different boxing trainer and started kind of getting away from doing Muay Thai. You start brawling with people, and that's not – it wasn't conducive with with, with, uh, with the everybody, – everybody with an MMA glove, Four-ounce glove, you can you can get knocked out. It's different when you're fighting with a boxing glove. You know, boxing glove, everybody ain't a knockout puncher. But with a four-ounce glove, anybody can get knocked out, you know. So um, I just kind of started going away from that a little bit and started uh, – I, I got hooked up with a boxing trainer, so I started training more boxing stand-up instead of staying with my roots, which is wrestling and, and Muay Thai and – and, and, and uh, you know, it, it, every time I utilized my Muay Thai, my wrestling, uh, the fights were easy. It was when I started trying to brawl with people and that kind of stuff is where a couple of times I got caught and, you know, lost some fights and stuff like that. But, but 
you know, that that's basically kind of. I'm sorry. I hope I didn't ramble off. No, too much. man. This is great stuff. So, what did what did Master Chan uh, feel about that when you started doing that boxing style instead of traditional Muay Thai? Did he get well, pissed? And you know, well, well, basically, what happened was I was still training with Master Tati and Master Chan, and 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 I guess after Terry Trebilcock told you know he he uh, he went to that 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 last fight that I had. That Master Tidy paid for that went to, and um and I said, you know he told he came up to me after he said, hey man that was a good fight he said, but you know you got ripped off and he says and I said yeah you know it's not a big deal and he said, well at least you got paid for it, and I said what do you mean I got paid for it I said that was amateur he said you fought three five minute rounds amateurs don't fight three five minute rounds, I mean no I mean uh five three-minute rounds. Right. He said, amateurs two-minute rounds. He said, that was pro. And I was like, what? And then I realized that uh, Master Toddy was uh, having me, anytime the promoters would call me to set up a fight, he would tell me to tell, to call them because what he was doing was arranging the fights. It was pro, and he was keeping the money. Mm-hmm. And he would just... and. And so he'd give me a hundred or two hundred dollars for gas and say, "Hey, this is gas money." But he was, you know, say maybe the fight was fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars. He'd give me two or three hundred dollars, and I would, I didn't know any better because I thought it was amateur, and he was keeping the money. So then, and, but I never would have known if Terry Trebilcock hadn't told me. Right. So after it was done, when I started, when I hooked up with John Lewis, uh, I. And he wanted to do his thing and start teaching me MMA. I went back to Master Toddy and I said, "Hey, look, I know you're managing me, but you can manage me for the kickboxing matches. But for the MMA matches, I'm going to utilize John Lewis because he knows better." So he was pissed off, and what he did is he kind of just kind of alienated me. And then, like a week later, because I was training with Master Chan. He had Master Chan tell me that I I had to leave his gym, that I couldn't train there anymore. So I had to leave, and I, I stayed with um, with with John Lewis for that rest of the time. But, but Master Chan always still wanted to train me. He just, you know, obviously didn't want to be, you know, caught up between his 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 grandmaster and 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 me. So he had to, obviously that was his lifeblood. So he had to side with with uh, Master Toddy, and then eventually, uh, later on, we kind of hooked up again and started. And he started training me again because they kind of had a falling out, and um, so he stopped training with him too because it was the same thing with the money thing, yeah. you know. But so, but 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 that that dude is the truth. He's it's traditional Muay Thai, 100% from Thailand. Everything the speaking to us in Thai, the 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 way they do it in Thailand, not the the watered down version that you get in the United States. It's very very few uh, tr- traditional, true Muay Thai teachers that teach like they teach in Thailand, unless you go to Thailand. You know, there's some guys that's been taught under that, but most of the time, they a lot of these guys around here water it down and, and kind of... I'm not speaking bad about anybody yeah. here, but... It is what it but, is. But, You're right. You're yeah, right. a lot of it is kind of watered down. That's why, like, when the people see us and see the stuff that we're teaching and stuff, when I'm with the our, our our training with Master Chan, they uh, they um, 
they don't really like to stick with the traditional. But I give you a prime example. Um, Gina Carano. Right. Um, you know what that is, right? Yeah, of course. Okay, Gina Carano was trained under Master Master Chan too, and uh, she was knocking everybody out and everybody she was beating up. And do you realize that uh, she hurt all her first five or six MMA fights? She had Master Chan in her corner, and if you watched her the first before she fought Cyborg, she was beating everybody up standing up. Right. Well. Well, what happened is when she got the fight against Cyborg, she uh, left and abandoned Master Chan and went to Couture's. Oh, shit. And so, yep, so, so what do you think she did? She goes there, they start trying to teach her. And she did jujitsu, she did it, but it wasn't her first style. Right. So, so instead of utilizing her Muay Thai just like she did with all the rest of her fights. She goes and she leaves it alone and she starts training jujitsu for this fight. If you see what happened, she got obliterated. Right. But um all the other fights that she ever had, she had she you see her, she was using her Muay Thai leg, kicking, punching and beating people up using elbows. But uh this la her last fight when she fought against Cyborg, she she left Master Chan and went went and started doing Couture and, and try to go ground with somebody who's been doing it for multiple years and she just got destroyed. But, but yeah. you know, it was the same thing, you know. Right, so right, that's true. I, I never thought of that. You're absolutely right. So why do you think? Oh, a lot, yeah. Why do you think a lot of fighters nowadays they're not sticking to traditional Muay Thai? Because I think as far as stand up, it's way better than that the boxing style that MMA has adopted. You know what I mean? Well, the reason why is because a lot of guys don't teach it. They don't know it. Like, like for instance, I can give you a prime example. Um, in MMA, like, if you ever see my fight, my first fight against Rampage? Yeah, low kicks. I leg, I leg kicked him to death. Right. Well, well, because I was with him and I had no other style. But if you see MMA fighters now, they're afraid to leg kick because they're worrying about the fighters to um to to sit on a leg kick and throw a counter too. Mm-hmm. Well. There's a traditional Muay Thai style that Master Tati teaches, and there's a way that I can leg kick you and not worry about a counter. Of course. But they they don't teach that here, and I teach it because it's Master Tati, it's Master Chan style, and what it does is is when you kick, um, everybody thinks that when they they whip their their hand to the side and their you know, to to turn over the kick that that gives them a lot of power, which it does. But but basically, when we leg kick, it's a, it's a style that we taught that is from Thailand. It's traditional, but what we do is we stick our hand in your face. So our hand goes in your face first, the leg kick comes, then the leg kick comes back, and then my hand's removed from your face so there's no counter. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like it's like if I mushed you in the face. Right. You would, if I'm like, so what you do is like, if I want to kick you in the box, I, I, I mush you in the face, but I, I don't, I don't do it square. I turn my shoulder and I mush you in the face and then the kick comes. Right. Then when the kick goes back, then the hand goes back. Well, that's, a, and there's techniques that you're, that you, that you're shown that, so it alleviates worrying about a counter because if I stick my hand in your face, you can't punch, you can't move forward. 
but nobody teaches that. So I teach my guys. I teach the guy. I teach the traditional style like Master Toddy taught me, Master Chan. But nobody does it. Everybody does the whip your leg out. And what they try to do is kick the leg, and they try to lean their face back so they don't get counter. But it's, it won't work. Or they get the little baby tap leg kicks. You don't see people getting killed and stopped with leg kicks in, in, more, in MMA no more. It's just not done because they don't teach it anymore. You know what I'm saying? But you you really have to you really have to know or be taught that style for you to actually know how to utilize it. And that's that's how I teach my fighters. And uh, and and I wish that I would have stuck with it because had I done it like that, you know, all of my most of my fights would have been very very easy. But you get away from it if you don't train it, you you won't do it. You know, it's it's an easy technique, but it's unfortunate because nobody. You have to train it, you know. Okay, okay. So you, the the fighters you're teaching now, they're uh, MMA fighters or Muay Thai fighters? Yeah, one of my – well, I, I have my son that I'm teaching. He's fighting, and then I have another fighter named David Jordan uh, that's on a five-fight knockout streak right now. He was uh, – him and my kid, David Jordan was uh, 16 and one as an amateur and won a couple of amateur titles, and my kid – was nine and one, and uh, and he won one amateur title. But then what happened is, and he fights forty five, and, and my other fighter David Jordan fights at fifty five. But basically, what happened is, me and my kid had little a little little disagreement, and he went and started training with Dewey Cooper, and uh, I only had. My my fighter David Jordan, we kind of first started out after when he started in pro. Uh, he lost his first fight on decision, but then the next ones after that, we kept having cancellations. Everybody he's fighting at 55. Everybody was coming in overweight. So being a stupid stupid person, you know, we let them give us extra money. Okay, well if he's overweight, then we'll take the fight, but they have to pay us extra. Well, you know, these guys, if he fights and cuts at 55, you know, they come in at 180 pounds, you know, and that was my mistake because I let him fight two fights, take two two fights, and it wasn't, he's fighting 55, and they guys coming in 80, 85 and stuff, and so we ended up taking a couple, couple of losses because of, cause I allowed him to do it. Right. So he had to get on a, a losing streak. He lost a couple of fights, so his record didn't reflect what kind of a fighter he was, so... What we did is we stopped doing that, stopped taking those fights, and we went back to the drawing board. And I just went back and started showing him traditional Muay Thai, 100%. And we finally got him on the road, and now he's on a five-fight knockout streak. He just fought in um, Tough Enough, the pro series, and he slept this kid so bad. I mean, I mean, it, it was horrible. I mean, he had switched southpaw, and he just jabbed him to death, and then he switched southpaw and hit him with a right hook. And this guy went to sleep before he went to the ground, but he's been on, he's been on a five fight knockout streak. Nice. So, um, so you know, so we just trying to get him to get his get his record together to make you know catch up for those couple of losses that he had in the beginning. Because most of the people look at your record and they go, oh, you know, but they was doing is underestimating and looking at his record, and they were taking these fights, and he just been putting these guys to sleep now, you know. So, but but he he it's the same style we use. Catch can, um, you know, Nova Unyal Jiu Jitsu. That's where I'm from, from John Lewis, uh, Nova Unyal. And, but it's catch can style wrestling. 
with the mission, and then full Muay Thai, and he just been obliterating people, you know. So, and my my kid, his name is Marvin Eastman, the third, but for some reason, he feels like uh, if he utilizes my name, he won't get the credit that he he needs to get. Like people will mistake him for me, which they they won't. Uh, so he uses some kind of different name and it, it, I don't know. It's just stupid, but, but the dude is a, a good fighter, but I think he's just got a streak of bad luck because, uh, it's just some stuff that he needs to fix in his life. You know, that, you know, it's kind of like a matter of fact, like, you know, um, the father and son, you remember Mosley with his dad and, yeah, yeah, you know, of course. Mayweather with his dad, hard. you know? So, yeah. 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 That's kind of what it is. But, but, uh, you know, they really have to trust what it is you're saying, you know, and it's unfortunate because I was in the business and I kind of know the things that you need to do to be successful. And for some reason, man, he, he's got all the talent in the world to do this super quick, fast. He's a wrestler, been doing all this kind of stuff. But just for some reason, he just doesn't, I don't know, it seems like it's a trust issue. But the other guy that's, Shoot, he he does everything I say, man, and he's been like this. This dude is unbelievable. He's been sweeping everybody. The last five fights been knockout. Okay, you know, so, so you know, but but it's traditional Muay Thai with with wrestling, that's and nice. that's what it is, you know. So, so uh, speaking of speaking about wrestling, you know, a lot of people nowadays are talking about the wrestlers' mentality or the wrestlers' grind. What does that mean to you? What exactly is that? What do you mean, wrestlers grind? Like the wrestler mentality, you know what I mean? They talk about, oh, they tough, wrestlers are so tough, they grind, they work out, they got great work ethics. Is that is that accurate? Do you believe that? You know, anything you have to well, add to that? Well, I, I think it is. It's, it's easy for me to teach a wrestler how to stand up, but it's very, very hard to teach somebody who's not a, uh, a, a, who's a stand-up person to learn how to grapple. You know, I can teach anybody with the four off glove. I can teach anybody to have a halfway decent punch, but wrestling and grappling takes so many years, you know, and I'm not going to say exclusively the wrestlers are better than anybody else, but that mentality being locked up and pushed to the ground and slammed and stuff like that is, it really takes a different type of mentality to be when you, when you, it's, you know, I think it's a little bit easier to teach a, a wrestler certain things, you know, like, for instance, like Mayweather is, he's a smart enough fighter that he could learn how to defend being taken down, and he could learn what to do if somebody got on top of him, so he could you, you, uh, he could um, neutralize being punched, but uh, because, he's, because he's an athlete, but I can teach a wrestler how to punch, but you, it's very, very hard to teach a stand-up guy how, how to defend. Right. Yeah, it takes longer, you know what I'm saying? You can do it. You just have to be really, really talented, and it takes a lot of – like, cause for me, my phobia was I've been taught not to get on my back for multiple years to, to control everybody from the top, but what do you do if something happens and now you're on your back? Right. Well, that was a phobia. So when I first started training – the first thing that I do, even though I, I control everybody on the top, but then once I got that, then I had to go, okay, now my worst fears is being on my back. So now I have to, instead of being on top, I have to be on the bottom. 
and I have to get over that fear, get over that fear, get over that fear, and I stayed on my back all the time, 24-7, 365, something that I hadn't been doing. I've been taught not to do since I was a kid. Seven years old, I started wrestling. So right. if your objective is to never be on your back, and all of a sudden now it's okay to be on your back because if you go to your front, you get choked out. You have to do that. So so it was just something that I had to do, and I had to drill it a hundred, a million times every day and just take take my lumps, but eventually it came, you know. No so. Okay, so how did you get that? You started doing uh, BJJ or what? Or you just started wrestling on your back? Yeah. No, I well, well, basically, um, after I'd had that first fight, and then Terry Trevelcock knew I lived in Las Vegas, and they only really had one MMA school here. The original school was John Lewis's uh, JSEC. So what he did is he paid John Lewis five hundred dollars and called him and said, "Hey, look, I got this guy that's a wrestler, that's a stand-up guy, and uh, he, you know, I, I want." I want him to come and I want to pay for him to start training at your gym. Well, back then, you couldn't just go and just pay money and join an MMA gym. You had to uh, initiate or have to be accepted in. So, so what happened was he paid John Lewis the money and they gave me the address. John Lewis didn't know me from 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 Adam, so they told me where the gym is and told me to come over there. So I went over there. And the first thing they did, I thought I was just going to sign up. The first thing he did is says, well, in order for you to join our gym, we have to see if you're good enough. So the first thing that he did is he put me in the cage with Tito Ortiz, <laughs> Chuck Liddell. That's real talk. Oh, That's real talk. I got a little video. I got Tito Ortiz, Chuck Liddell, Big Eric Pele, um, Mark Lehman. Uh, Tony D'Souza put me right in the cage with them and Dang. said, takedowns. That was my initiation. So so what do you think I did? Double leg. Right. Take down, double leg, take down. Just start taking them down, taking them down. Me and Tito were going toe-to-toe. I just kept, you know, people don't, don't realize, but we got video. I got video footage of it, just double leg. Tito on his back, on his back, getting, getting his back dirty. Him and Chuck, all those guys. I did that for about 20, 30 minutes. Then he went, okay, yeah, you're official. You can join. That was how, that's how I got introduced to the game, you know. But I I didn't know these guys from Adam, you know. And Tito wasn't a champion at the time. He just was a wrestler and Chuck was a wrestler too. But for me, I got, excuse the French, I got big nuts too. And I'm like, I don't care who shows up. You know, we get in this this wrestling mat, I'm going to do what I got to do. So that was what it was. They put us in a cage and said, take now. Okay. So that's what, we, that's what we did. So that's how I got initiated in the game. Nice. And then we, we all, you know, so anyway. Yeah, that's what's up, man. So back in the days, I, I keep hearing, you know, back in the days, these dudes, you know, from the USC and what, uh, whatever other organizations, they used to train like crazy, like full all-out wars in the gym, sparring, no headgear, knocking each other out. Yeah. Was this something uh, yeah. you went through, stuff like that? Was it like that back then when you were coming oh, yeah. up? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something. When, you know, when Tito finally, Chuck and Tito, when, when they were partners and friends, we all trained together because Chuck and John Lewis were uh, best friends. So so Chuck, John was managing me and uh, and basically right next door to our gym was uh, 24-hour fitness. And, uh, 
and basically we didn't have a a shower area. So what would happen is is they made friends with the manager of Twenty Four Hour Fitness, which was Dana uh, Dana White, okay. and uh, so in in order for us to use the showers over there. John gave Dana White free lessons so they would allow us to go next door and take a shower. And so that's how Dana White started managing Chuck and Tito. Oh, damn. And, uh, so, so, uh, and then John would give, uh, he, 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 they paid, uh, and John Lewis, um, was, uh, was, was, um, giving, jiu-jitsu lessons to the Fertitta brothers. So he charged them $250 an hour. And, uh, and, but John was working for the U.S. Marshals for, uh, as a, an instructor. And he was also working for Metro, uh, Las Vegas Metro Police Department as a defensive tactics instructor. Damn. So that dude is official, John Lewis. He's an official dude. Oh, man. As a matter of fact, half of the stuff, the reason, one of the reasons why the the UFC was bought by the Fertitas is because of John Lewis, because John Lewis introduced, I mean, was uh, introduced the Fertitas to jujitsu. When I'm telling you, he used to charge him $250 an hour for jujitsu lessons. And, uh, and Dana White uh, was next door. He was friends with him. So them naturally being on the boxing commission, once they all got introduced to, the jiu-jitsu and John Lewis was fighting and all that kind of stuff. And the UFC was fledgling. Uh, once the Petitas got uh, word and kind of, uh, kind of started understanding MMA and with their influence with the boxing commission, uh, it was very, very easy for them to be able to, uh, you know, when the UFC was fledgling and it was calling no holds barred, you know, it was barbaric, but once they started finding out what the deal was, they seen a money pit, and basically what they did is kind of got introduced to it, and they ended up buying it, and with their influence uh, with the, 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 the with the boxing commission, it was easy for them. They're owning, you know, own station casinos. They could take a company for, they bought for 2 or three, four million million and lose some money for a little while to, to help with their influence to get it universally recognized and and make it into a main mainstream sport so that's what they did and then eventually they got it regulated and and uh uh got it off the uh the the the, the it was the only you could only have mma on them right uh, the 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 um what do you call it the um indian reservations because i fought king of the cage all the time and my first five fights was King of the Cage, and it was on in Saboba, California, on the Indian reservations because it wasn't regulated. Right. So it wasn't. wasn't um, so with them, their influence, they bought the company and used their influence to get universal rules where you couldn't be fighting this and all that kind of stuff, and and got it turned on where it was finally mainstream. And uh, John Lewis was basically should have been uh, forgot the matchmaker for them. But because uh, he's the one to help introduce them. But what he did is, is uh, John didn't become the matchmaker because he said, hey, I'm going to get my own company. And that's when he started the WFA. Okay. He wanted to do his own thing. So 
So otherwise, it would have been John Lewis. That would have been uh, I can't remember the matchmaker that, that used to be for the UFC. He's been there for for so long. Joe Silva. Right. It would have been John. But John Lewis wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to buy his own company. So so that's why he did that. But anyway, yeah, that's how I got introduced. You know, through well, it was right. We, we used to go next door and go take showers at. 24-hour fitness. Like I said, Dana White was right there, the manager, making thirty-five, forty thousand dollars a year. The manager of uh, 24-hour fitness, you know. But like I said, that's how he ended up getting introduced. So yeah, yeah now he's worth two hundred million dollars. Now imagine <laughs> that. Uh, that's a beautiful story, man. It's American dream, right? But yeah, man. yeah. Of so yeah, so okay, so you, like you were saying, you were, t you know, you guys were training together. So you guys like. uh you going hard in training and everybody people getting knocked out or what? Or you know, you had respect and go light. How was the, the sparring like? No, in the beginning, you know, we you know, we had our jujitsu practice and stuff like that. And uh and but basically like uh we had our big match and stuff and when John got the he had the leg kick stuff and all that kind of stuff there, but he didn't really have the the stand up facility, so what he did is he hooked up with um Skip Kelp, and Skip Kelp was doing the boxing stuff over at UNLV. He was running an amateur boxing program, so we would do all our wrestling stuff. And uh, and John had a cage, and we train our cage stuff with boxing gloves and stuff like that. And it was banging. We banged, you know, uh, hard, 100%. Yeah, people were getting knocked out. Dudes would come in, so I want to train. And guess what? John would point people out, go in there and beat this fool up and stuff. So it was, it was gangster. It wasn't no... It wasn't that this old sign up and you can just join up. It was like, it was gladiator school, but, you know, like like somebody had to fight. Like when Tito had a fight, everybody in the gym helped him train. You know, we might, I might be a takedown specialist, so I, or take him down, take him down, take him down. Now stand up, stand up, stand up. It was, you know, everybody helped train the person for the fight, you know. Right. So, yeah, but it was gladiator school. It wasn't none of that old you know, milk and cookie stuff. Believe me, this stuff that they, I mean, I'm not saying it's all, all that's all good, you know, because there's a couple of times, like I had a fight where I ended up was training with a whole bunch of guys and ended up gotten, getting a concussion Damn. and then picking up and then 30 minutes later training again. Then the next day got kneed in the head, got knocked out again. And, uh, what it, didn't realize I had a concussion, went to a fight in, uh, New Jersey, didn't realize I had a concussion already, went into a fight and it was with a wrestler. I should have beat him up easily, and he barely threw a punch, and it hit me on the chin, and I went to sleep. And it was the punch was so so light that people actually thought I took a dive. Oh, shit. I mean, because it, it didn't even look like, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't no knockout punch. It was like almost like a graze, but I was... I went to sleep like like the nest tea plunge like out you know <laughs> so you know but but I mean think about it now you get that like you out you know you know the you know uh, concussion protocol they got in the NFL and this and CT all that crazy stuff yeah that's right. how we used to get out back in the day it wasn't no regulations it wasn't none of that stuff now but you know I didn't know at the time you know we just think okay suck it up do what you got to do but now it's a little bit different you know it's a different ball game so. You got to protect yourself. I totally understand that. I would never want, you know, some of the stuff we used to do is probably not feasible. But, but if you're going to train Muay Thai and train MMA and stuff like that, you do have to spar and do that kind of stuff like you, you would in the foot. Right. That, you know, the, 
Neanderthal stuff that we used to do is probably not the best way to do things now, you know? No doubt, no doubt. So, yeah, man, so throughout your career, I always noticed that, you know, you're a pretty jacked dude, you know what I'm saying? You're pretty buff and all that. What, what was your strength training like? What did you do and how did you get, you know, how, how would you build strength and how does it differ today? Well, um, you know, because I played football in high school and uh, wrestled in high school and then played junior college and, and, and played college, you know, strength conditioning and stuff like that. Powerlifting. We had. I was on a powerlifting team in high school and um, all the way through. So I, you know, I, I was. I, I think the first time I started lifting, I took about six months, and I, I was as a sophomore. I could bench press 300 pounds. So, you know, and you know, it wasn't something. You know, it's kind of in the family. I never, you know, I, I've never. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I never. I've never in my life smoked weed or never took any drugs. It's just. And it's partially because of the way I was raised. I was raised in a uh, apostolic uh, Pentecostal family, and uh, you know it's just. And then I'll, I had one bad experience with uh, having knee surgery when I was a kid, and and I think they gave me too much of the uh, the the stuff that they put you to sleep, that mm -hmm. anesthesia, right. and um, and I I was a sophomore, and uh, when I woke up. I was hallucinating really, really bad and seeing double and triple and stuff like that. But I kept waking up and going back and I could just remember like just tripping out like really, really bad. And I think maybe the second or third time that I woke up, I uh, asked God in my, in, the, in my main, when I was out, I was like, God, if, uh, if drugs feel like this, just let me wake up and I'll never do drugs. I won't drink. I won't do any of that. And I think the third time I woke up, as a sophomore, and, and uh, that was my vow. I was like, I'll never do it, you know. And you go through peer pressure, smoke this, drink this, and you know. But I was one of the, I was hundred percent square. But, but you know, I was a, I was an athlete. I was always excelled. You know, I made all American in high school and right. football and wrestling and stuff, and it went wherever I wanted. So, plus I had pretty decent size on me too. So I really didn't have to go through it as much as some other people, simply because I was already a star. But if you kind of like not the top dog when you're in high school, you probably, the peer pressure is probably a little bit more, but because I was, you know, scoring a couple of touchdowns a game and in the paper all the time and stuff like that, the, the, the peer pressure wasn't as bad, but I still got it from my homeboys. Oh, you the punk. You won't smoke this. So I'm sitting at the party with, with Gatorade or Mountain Dew and everybody <laughs> drinking beer. You know, I went through that through high school and junior college and it was worse than UNLV. I, I went through that for years and, so it wasn't a big deal, but I got that's just in the and genetics is on the side of the family. So, so I was a little bit blessed, but you know, why I didn't really have to worry about the stuff too much. It was a little bit easier for me, but, but I still had to work. It wasn't, it, my work ethic was off the chain too. So it's not just slacking and getting away with stuff because you have a little bit of genetics. I still worked for it. Cause I always just thought that there was somebody else that was probably working out harder than me right uh so I was a paranoid trainer i would kind of sometimes overtrain because i was worried about somebody training harder than me you know so how many back then how, how often did you train every day six days a week one day rest well, well when i'm oh oh i trained every day but, but when i was when i started doing more i mean mma um i i, I I had my bachelor's degree and I was working in my field. I started working at Indian Springs prison 
as a corrections officer, and then I transferred down to North Las Vegas Police Department. So, uh, and I just retired from there. I was there for 18 years, but okay. and then four years at the penitentiary. So, while I was uh, doing MMA, I was working full time as a corrections officer. So, I would work from nine at night to seven in the morning, and then I get off at seven, come home, get my kids to school at 8 o'clock, and I'd sleep between 8 and 10.30, and then at 10.30, I would drive to, to jiu-jitsu practice, and I'd train jiu-jitsu from, from 11 o'clock to about 1, 1.30, then drive from from, from uh, JSEC or John Lewis's over to UNLV Boxing, and I'd train from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock boxing and conditioning. Then I'd leave there, and I would drive across town to Master Tidy's Muay Thai Center, and I trained from 6.30 to 8 o'clock Muay Thai, uh, take a shower at the gym, uh, then drive home, uh, pack my lunch, and I'd have to be at work at 9. And I did that for uh, about thir- uh, 12 years. My God. Uh, so, yeah, 12, 13 years. Um, I did that all the way through my Muay Thai career. So, you know, when the other guys were going home after they were training, you know, I didn't go home. I had to, I had to go home, take a shower, and go back to work because, like I said, I just retired from my job. You know, I was an officer for 22 years. So, uh, you know, that guy when they got finished having that hard session, it wasn't, it wasn't over for me to go home and take a shower and go to sleep. It wasn't that. It was, and and John Lewis was like, there was no excuse. And Skip, it was like, even if I worked overtime instead of working 10 hours and I had to work 15 hours, they would be like. I'm like, hey, man, I just worked 15 hours and I missed a session. He'd say, okay, you got one hour to be at the school. He tra- I trained for two hours with him. Then he'd say, go home, take a shower, go to sleep. Don't go to kickboxing. Don't go to boxing. Don't do nothing. Go home and go to sleep. But after working a 15-hour shift, I didn't get a pass. It was There was no I can go home and go to sleep. It was like I had to go and train. They made, it was no – there was no – I didn't get no passes. That's just how the old school, we did it, you know. So. Yeah. And I did, I did I did that for 12, 13 years. Plus, I had a family. My 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 kids wrestled. My 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 oldest son he wrestled national champion, and my 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 baby boy he wrestled. I used to take them to uh, wrestling matches all over Nevada and Utah and California and uh, Colorado. So I was I had to still be the family man too. But I didn't I didn't want to make no excuses for something that I wanted to do so you know somebody tell me well I can't do this because of this I had to work I had to provide for a family I had to still do my duties at home and then I was coaching football and coaching wrestling for my kids because I couldn't short them because I had a career so I had to juggle all that stuff together so when these kids talk about I can't do this and I can't do that I say that's BS because I did that I retired and got 22 years in and was able to have you know, over 40 MMA fights and 20 kickboxing matches and one professional boxing match, all still being a family man. And my wife that I got right here, she had to put up with that too. You know what I'm saying? So juggling family, trying to be the family man and trying to spend time with them and then going to football for me, wrestling practice and doing this and then going into your job, you know? Wow. So, Damn, that's a yeah, lot, so, man. Like you were running on like three hours sleeves, not even, man. How did... How did you keep it together those those days when you didn't feel like doing it or those after a tough loss? What kept you going? 
I would I would at work I'd sleep on my lunch hour and in between uh in between training sessions like uh I would sleep in my car. Um most of the time just sleeping in the car and uh sleep on my lunch hour, you know what I'm saying? But and then the main time when I would get my sleep would be on the weekends because because uh, I, I work four days a week, but then I would catch up my sleep on my days off, oh, you know, okay. but, but the days that I had to train because the MMA training was five days a week, bare minimum. But then we had uh, open mat jujitsu on the weekend. So he wanted us to be there on the weekends on Saturdays too. So my, 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 my main catch up asleep would be on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, and then I go back to work on Sunday. Nice. So, so it, it was no excuse, you know, you just don't have no excuse, you know, but that's just the way it was. I didn't want, I didn't want any excuses to be able to keep me from saying that, uh, I mean, I can imagine if, if I didn't have a job, how, how I, you know, because I was able to have been a world champion in uh, four other MMA organizations. The only one that I just, for some reason, had a jinx against me was the UFC. Every time I fought in the UFC, every all four times that I, I fought five times, but only one time, I know I think it twice, when I fought Rampage the second time and I fought Terry Martin was the only time that I didn't have something happen to me. But when I fought Vitor Belfort, something happened to me. When I remember Travis Luter, something happened to me. And then, then my last fight, you know, it was always something. It was like I had a jinx. But then I would go and fight on uh, uh, somebody's other organization or something like that and have a fight that if it was on the UFC TV, it would be, I'd be a, a mega star. You know, I just yeah. had some fights. It was unbelievable, but it was always just, you know, and I kind of figured out what it was, but, you know, uh, but it's just like that. So, but, you know. So what was then, it? Like, what, what, what was it? What was uh, the issue? Well, I just can tell you this. Um, Eventually, I, 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 I kind of think, and this is just my own determination because, because I'm a, you know, Christian, and I told you, I, I said that's the reason why I never did drugs and did none of that kind of stuff. But I really, um, I, I really just believe that, um, you know, it was kind of revealed to me, kind of, and I just think that maybe my path for what God had for me was, uh. He would always, I would always pattern my my life and my uh, my career um, to that of a Christmas tree, and I use this analogy because it's the truth. I would say, if you have, when you have a Christmas tree, you buy presents, then you wrap them, then you get a Christmas tree, and you set it up in your house, and then what you do is you decorate it, and you put lights on it, and you put the candy canes, and you put the little snow drizzles on it and all this other kind of stuff and everything on it. And then the last thing that you do is put the star on the top and then you turn the lights on. I said, I would always equate my life to doing all of that and getting to the top and getting ready to put the star on the top to complete the tree. And somebody pulls the ladder down from me. So I never got to complete it. I was always felt like, man, I'm all, I'm almost right there but I didn't get it. And I felt like that's how my life was. I would always get to 99%, but I could never get to 100%. And I kind of just thought 
like, dang, I did this in this organization. I did this. I won a world champion at this. I said, then I get to the UFC, then something happens. Then I get there, and then, then something happens, and something happens, and something, and it's the top of the food tray. And I used to say, God, why did you give me this talent, but you don't allow me to show it off? And and this is just my own obsession. It's not for nobody else, but it's for me. Right. But uh, but the revelation for me was that, you know, God kind of put me in a situation where he, he said to me that if I'd allow you to become the king of the mountain or the top of the food chain, then you wouldn't have any need for me because you'd be at the top of the food chain. If you really understand, it's like, you're a star, but you never become a superstar because if I allowed you to become a superstar, any people that need, if you're a billionaire, you need nothing. Right. There's nothing that anybody can get for you because you can get everything. But if you're a person that's striving to be a billionaire, you're always striving to get to the top. But think about it. If you get to the top and, and there's a God up there, you're at the same level like a God or something. If people put you at this level, I never allowed you to get there because I didn't, because, because as you understand, it's like, I didn't allow you to get to that level because now you don't need me. And I was like, wow, I guess I understand, you know, because, you know, the superstars, you know, we look at Beyonce, we look at these guys, those people, man, I love him, you this and this, and they get worship. And I just, and I, it might sound corny to you, but, but I know as a Christian, I kind of understand. It's like, I didn't want to, he didn't want me to put, myself up to the level where I could, where, where, where I, I didn't need him, you know? So right, it kind of just it. kept me, you, you kind of understand what yeah, I'm saying? absolutely. I mean, that's your Christian belief and you know what I mean? He didn't want your ego to yeah. get out of control. Maybe you would have been the king of the exactly. world and start wilding out and who knows how you would have handled exactly. that, you know? So, hey, man, that's, exactly. that was revealed that's to you. you. That's you. You know yeah. yourself. So, yeah, man, that's definitely yeah, dope. You, you said exactly what I was trying to say. You know, it's like a person, uh, um, a person that's not sick doesn't need a doctor. Right. You, you understand what I'm saying? Right. And, uh, you know, um, and I just, I just think that if I, cause for instance, me and me and Rampage started at the same time. And because I beat Rampage and I won all those fights, do you realize that they offered me to a contract to go to pride to fight in pride before they fought before rampage went well mm -hmm. i didn't go because i would have had to leave my job to go to japan i stayed uh, here so okay. uh but but that eliminator was kind of like between us and 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 pride was a like a subsidiary of king of the cage they would pull people from king of the cage and that's how you got a contract to go to pride so uh i ended up winning that fight and they ended up taking me offer me the contract but I never went I just I, I didn't go so eventually they offered it to Rampage but Rampage had some warrants and he couldn't leave Memphis so they got Mike Bork Mike Bork went over there but they still wanted one of us to go right so and Mike Bork fought Sakuraba and he lost and then eventually they end up getting the money to, to Rampage so he could pay off his warrants and then the first thing they did is he took the contract and he went over there in the first fight. They had him fight Sakuraba and he ended up losing to Sakuraba. But then they loved him after that and Rampage stayed in, in pride and that's how he became a big star. But before that, 
they offered me the contract to go fight over there. And they probably eventually would have offered him a contract too, but but it was kind of eliminated between the guys. It was Vernon White, me, and a whole bunch of other guys were fighting against each other. So, so I, you know, it just – and plus, I didn't want to leave my family and stuff like that. I was had a family and didn't want to leave my kids here and stuff like that, so I never went. But I, I thought I could do what I got to do here and still have a – career and stuff and I got my bachelor's degree and and got all my faculties and stuff so it was was one of those things where it just allowed me to to still be a family man if I was just a single guy I would have took off and went to Japan but I had a family and stuff like that and it wasn't a lot of money in MMA at the time it now if it was the money that is now when I started in 2000 2001 I probably would have took off but it so wasn't, what, what it was wasn't, the money like back then? What were they offering? You know, you don't have to give me your specific what you made, but what was the, the it, average? It probably, I probably would have 10000 bucks or something like that, but you got to realize this. My first fight against Rampage, I only made 500 bucks. Damn. 500 bucks to fight that guy. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You know, yeah, so, so you know what the deal is. I think. I mean, probably the most money I ever made was $50,000. It just wasn't – I mean, they making that on bonuses right now. That's nothing, right. you know what I'm saying? Right. So, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 paydays, you know, if you – if I'm making $100,000 in my job and I fight two or three times and make thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars 50000 a pop, yeah, that's, you know, $100,000, $200,000 on the side fighting three or four times. But, shoot, these guys making $100,000, dollars $500,000 in a fight now. Conor McGregor, the first million-dollar fighter. So, I mean, can you imagine? We're talking about a sport that's only, you know, 17 years old, you know? So you got millionaire fighters. But it wasn't no millionaire fighters when I started. You know, you – shoot, like I said, I know – you you check Jerry Jeremy Horn out. He got the most fights out of any fighter. This dude was taking fights for 100, 200 bucks. You know what I'm saying? And he, he's got the most fights out of any MMA fighter, period. Jeremy Horn got, like, over 200 fights. You know, but he was Damn. taking for 50 bucks, 100 bucks, and 200 bucks, you know what I'm saying? So nobody has a record with over 100. Oh, I think it's another guy, I forgot his name, Travis something. Uh, uh, he, he's, he's got as many fights as uh, Jeremy Horn does. Jeremy Horn, so, okay. Yeah, I can't remember. He's still, the guy's still fighting. He's got over 200 fights or something like that. But, but you know, shoot, they, they don't have to fight like that no more. It's just totally different ballgame, you know? No doubt. So, how about today? You still train today yourself? How you keep in shape today nowadays? Um. Well, I, I I train my guys, and I go to the gym and I train with them. I do the same things that they do. Only thing only thing is different is is that every day I was being individually trained. So, versus and I train with my guys and I teach them and stuff like that. So, I don't get the work like I used to do every day, a hundred percent like that. But but now, because I'm the teacher and I'm teaching other guys, you know, I do pad work and bag work and stuff with them and stuff like that. But individual training, I don't get that. Now, this year we had, uh, when when I lost the second fight to Rampage, after the fight he told me he would give me a rematch. And earlier in the year, he had hit me up about, he put a picture of him catching me with a left hook on his UFC card. And I we were friends on a, on Instagram, and I seen the picture, and I was like, nice, nice picture, you know? Like, I ain't mad, it's a nice picture. He's catching me with a left hook. And I said, hey, man, you remember uh, after you beat me, I beat you the first time, you beat me the second time, you you, provi- you you promised me a rematch, you know? So, 
what's up with that? You know, and he was like, kind of looked like it might have happened or something like that, but he ended up taking a fight with Vanderlei Silva. Well, make a long story short, I, I wouldn't do the fight if it, unless it was over $100,000 anyway. So, uh, so, but he ended up taking a... Okay, yeah, I know. He's fighting Vanderlei uh, very soon, yeah. So you still interested in fighting? If the right matchup and right price comes through, you you, you would take it? Only, only way I would do that is with him, and it and it would have to be over $100,000, which wouldn't be a problem. But there's no – there's I don't – only reason why I would do it is, is if it was for him, it was with him because he just – all I would do is fight him the same way that I fought him the first time. Leg kick, leg kick, take him down. Leg kick, take him down. The, sec the second time I fought him, I tried to stay there and brawl. That's his style. That's not my style. You know, I, two or three leg kicks, a couple of head kicks, fight is a done deal. He's tired. He's already weighed 250 pounds. He's bigger now. It'd be easy to be easy to destroy his legs. like like Just like Joe Sonnen did. Leg kick right. him, leg kick, punch him, move because he's He's so big right now, 250 pounds. Like I said, he that ain't his style. But but Vanderlei, it's perfect for him to fight Vanderlei because Vanderlei ain't going to do nothing but stand right in front of him and punch him, and that's his style. But right. if you ever look at my first fight with him, you see I oh, let yeah, kick I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it. Let kick him to death, and that's exactly what I would do. And, and it was just uh, strategy. If I did the same strategy like I did the first time with Master Chan, then that's what it would have been like. So, you know, unless they come calling with six figures, it ain't going to go down, but <laughs> you, you never know. Like I said, but I, I always keep in shape anyway. Fighting shape versus just regular shape is two different things. But, of course. you know, in 250, I'd, I'd fight him at about 215, two, 216, something like that. I'm probably about 225. I'd drop about 10 pounds just to be fast, you know. But okay. anyway. That's what's up, man. Hey, man, Mr. Eastman, man, thank you for your time. I appreciate this interview. You gave me a lot of insight, lots of jewels, which I really appreciate. And, uh, you know, I'll be posting it up on the Catch and Wreck podcast. Also, the article is going to go most likely on the Muay Thai Guy website. So, yeah, man, I really appreciate all the info, man. A lot of jewels. So, come on, my New York shit. My baby mom's from Brooklyn, my New York bitch Got that coke on Broadway, at New York flip Hoes down south, love my New York accent And cheat on a man for some New York dick Niggas get mad, I pop in the clip And pop for the symbol on they New York fit With the rusty guns, but the shit still spit Rubber bands on the handle, the New York grip Your grip Sides in the New York minute, take a trip up top for a New York visit. NYPD, New York pricks and dicks. Heard you working with the D's, you a New York snitch. I'm trying to make a hundred mil, that's New York rich. Back and forth to Philly with these New York bricks. Niggas get jealous over New York quick. Hey ho, wanna know who the New York kid with the New York plates on the bulletproof truck? Better chill and get killed by a New Yorker. I got a 
11 Mac 11s, 38, 38s, 9 9s, 10 Mac 10s, the shit don't end.